It's all the files of the whole park. It tells you everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle one, the package is being delivered. Imagine installing security cameras in your house to protect your family. Then one day, those cameras start talking to you. Trolling you, actually. After last week when news broke that Amazon's super sketchy security camera company, Ring, had its products compromised, we got even more scoop. There's a live stream podcast where hackers take over people's Ring smart home cameras and use their speakers to troll its owners in the comfort of their own homes. Joseph Cox, our motherboard reporter extraordinaire, broke the story and he's here to tell us more. I'm Ben Maku and this is Cyber. So Joseph, it, it it has not been a very good year, 2019, for Ring, Amazon's super sketchy surveillance camera company, has it? No, I mean, they've had a wave of coverage about how they planned to potentially put facial recognition into that technology, which obviously has a load of privacy issues. Uh, and then Caroline Haskins, uh, former motherboard, she did all of this reporting about how Ring has worked with police to push these cameras across the country. There was then a Gizmodo piece just recently showing really how widespread they are. It really has been like the year of ring for not only seeing the scope of this, but people understanding that there is this sort of private surveillance network essentially spread all across the country, which then cops can leverage for their own benefit. It really is kind of this weird, weird kind of marriage between, you know, the big big brother government surveillance state and this corporatized version of it that Amazon is then hawking. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I never really understood the significance of this until Caroline's reporting really spelled it out, being like, this isn't just a company that sells surveillance uh, software. And then, you know, on the flip side of that, oh, it's not just a government surveillance program. It's the marriage of those two things where you could say, have this network of private cameras, which cops could then get access to without a warrant because it's a private network, say. Um, I wouldn't call it a nightmare scenario, but it is certainly concerning how widespread these cameras are without people necessarily knowing what the risks are, all the security risks are, which is, of course, what we found recently. And then news breaks last week that these cameras are actually not so secure. Yeah, I mean, there was a wave of local media reports and it really did spike up rapidly uh, Just across a few days, there was one in Mississippi where a hacker broke into a camera that was installed in a children's room and then said to like the little girl, hey, I'm Santa, and then played music down the camera. I'm your best friend. I'm Santa Claus. I'm I'm Santa Claus. Don't you want to be my best friend? There was one in Florida where the hacker started shouting racial slurs at Whoa. the family. Yeah, I mean, real, not just hacking, um, but harassment and abuse. And I mean, just to clarify, it's the hacking is done by breaking into the Ring accounts. So, you know, you have a username and password, you log in on the website, and then you essentially have... Um, control over the camera as in you can see what you you can see what the camera can see you can speak through the device with just a username and password you have a, you know you have access to really really sensitive stuff in somebody's home and that's apparently what these um these hackers were doing so then you find out that there's actually software that's been designed specifically for ring to compromise them 
Yeah, I mean, so after the local media reports and they mentioned that, oh, it was username passwords, I just immediately thought there's got to be cracking software for this. Cracking being that they'll quickly churn through these usernames and passwords to break into accounts. I mean, and then I literally Googled <laughs> ring cracking uh, and then a name of a piece of software that's pretty popular for that. And then within the first few results, yeah, there was just that software there. And it had been created just recently, just before this wave of attacks. So this is a special file that the hackers will use. They'll then take a load of previously compromised credentials from, you know, there's, there's all of these data breaches just floating around. They'll pump that into the software. And then very rapidly, because Ring actually puts minimal protections in place against this, they can just churn through all this information super quickly and then get access to these cameras or produce a list of cameras that are vulnerable that they can go into later. Is there any link to who might have created this? Yeah, so after the after we found the software on a couple of forums, one called Nold and one called Cracked, um, both pretty established cracking forums, we also found specifically some Nold members were running a so-called podcast um, where they would live stream this abuse, <laughs> they would hack into cameras, um, and then they would broadcast that for other people's entertainment. Um, it looks like hundreds of people could have um, been watching that podcast because we got a we got an invite to a Discord server where they were doing this live streaming and it had hundreds of um, members anyway. So this wasn't just a one-off. There was a, you know, a concerted wave of attacks and many of them did come from this podcast because if you then go and look at the footage of, um, I think it may have been the Florida attack, I can't remember the specific one, but they shout out the podcast, hey, yo, you're on the Noldcast or whatever it was. So... There was a definite link between those that wave of attacks and then this podcast that we came across. What's going on, my main man Shaq? It's your boy Chance on Nold. Welcome to the Noldcast. What's going on? How you doing? How you doing? Who is that? It's Chance from Nold. This is Chance oh. from Nold. Welcome to the Noldcast. How do you feel? Because I'm from Nold. Just further down the rabbit hole of a Joseph Cox story. <laughs> uh, I mean, they then very quickly tried to cover up their tracks on the forum. Uh, they were deleting forum threads that mentioned Ring. They banned any mention or the selling of the accounts on the website. Of course, we were already in the forum and already in the Discord server by this point. Um, so we could retrieve the information and caches and archives anyway. Um, but then Discord did eventually ban the server as well. I don't think these people were expecting so much um, media attention. Uh, they even went to the point of faking that the website had been seized. They put up a false, this site has been taken down by law enforcement, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then some people bought it and tweeted about it. We waited to verify and it turned out they were just trying to troll maybe media and journalists or whoever. But they were definitely panicking, the members of um, this forum, yeah. So they were essentially live streaming their trolling of people who install these cameras in their house specifically for safety and security. Right, right. I mean, that is the crazy ironic thing about all of this is that these de devices, as you say, are specifically designed and marketed to make you feel more safe 
and then that is being used as a vector to harass the very people who have bought these cameras. Amazon's Ring cameras are watching Tanya Amador's house in Grand Prairie, but she never expected a total stranger to be watching her. It was coming from the camera. This is Ring's, <laughs> this is Ring's support. That voice you're hearing is a hacker. On Monday, someone gained access to Amador's cameras, set off her alarm. Your account has been terminated by a hacker. And said she would be terminated if she didn't cough up 50 bitcoins. It's kind of a cruel twist, really. It's, I mean, it's massively cruel twist. And, and also, you know, where is Ring's accountability on this? Because this, these are some pretty major breaches. And if they're, as you say a security company, this is pretty insecure. <laughs> right, right. And I mean, Ring put out a statement and they even went so far because apparently so much media attention, they did, you know, their own blog posts laying out their position. And they very much told users, hey, don't re reuse passwords, the, the normal sort of thing. And that's a pretty standard position when it comes to most websites or web services. But here, we're talking about a product that is really sensitive. You know, a camera outside your home or inside your home. This is not a web account on Neopets or something. This is some really important uh, stuff, access and information. So various information security experts now are saying that Ring should really do more. You know, why don't you block IP addresses uh, from that haven't already been linked to the account before? Why don't you block IP addresses if they're simultaneously logged in from Russia and US or something. These are very basic protections for something that probably should be implemented with something as sensitive as a security camera, but Ring isn't doing that. Ring is just shifting all of the burden to the users. And considering this is like a consumer-facing product, this isn't for tech experts. This is for normal people to put in their home. Maybe people aren't going to be aware that they've used a bad or compromised password, and it should be on Ring's uh, it should be Ring's responsibility to help their own customers in that respect. Yeah, I mean, do they have things as simple as uh, password identifiers that it's strong or whether it's weak? Do they have two-factor authentication? They do have two-factor authentication, but it is SMS-based, which sure has its own issues as well, but that is a good thing that they have 2FA. However, it's not, as far as I know, enforced. It's optional. I don't know how clear that is to a user when you go through Twitter and people are talking about this issue as in ordinary Ring consumers. Some of them don't even know that Ring had 2FA in the first place. Another thing you could do is that, well, if there is a suspicious login, say from a different country or, you know, suspicious IP address, then you push a 2FA request. It doesn't seem that Ring is doing that either. And this this could have a really tangible impact on Ring as a company. They've already had all the stuff about law enforcement, and some people may not care about that. You know, they bought the camera. They don't mind if police can access because they want to be secure. This is something else. This is about third parties, hackers, getting into really intimate spaces in people's lives, and Ring may need to step, step up and actually provide more protections around that. I should also add, I, I think we found out, I mean, we probably assumed this, but Ring isn't such a fan of the reporting we've been doing, are they? Uh, from what I understand, no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there was a Ring PR person who put Caroline Haskins on a Twitter list uh, called Haters. And rather, <laughs> funnily out of that, that was it seems to be that was supposed to be a private Twitter list, but there was a bug going around at the time that made... 
uh, those sorts of notifications public. And then our colleague um, Lorenzo actually wrote that up as well. Uh, but yeah, they're not a huge fan of um, Caroline's work, but it, it's important work. And this stuff, incredibly important. Yeah, and this stuff about hackers. Um, also needs to be written about, even if, sure, you know, users are making mistakes by using compromised passwords. It's not all their fault. And if we're going to let people make informed decisions, well, Ring has clearly failed there because people don't know about 2FA and people don't know they're using compromised passwords. So there needs to be more information about this out there. Well, that's the thing. There needs to be less shaming of users and more education. Yeah, I think that's a really good takeaway from this, that yes, in some cases, the user does mess up and in some cases it will be their own fault when it's consumer facing like this like why aren't you helping the user they're your customer they give you money why don't you help them to ultimately have a better product and a better customer experience even from a purely business perspective it makes sense to help your users like this i mean a story like this too that what it kind of shows us is especially if we look back on you know even just four or five years ago when you get that all the, the, the fears surrounding the Internet of Things and how it will become this, you know, your devices are alive and they're hackable and people will be able to get access to your, the most intimate places of your house. And now it's like, this is, this is the reality. This is what's happening. And, and corporate America is not always looking out for you. Yeah, and it's funny because we have all of this, as you say, stuff about, oh, we could hack IoT or whatever. But here, the vector wasn't some exploit against a new IoT device or some sort of hacking technique specific against the camera. It boiled down to really stupid ways of authenticating who someone is, a username and a password. And again, sure, that may have been okay a long time ago and it may be okay for less sensitive services, but that's seemingly not good enough for an internet-connected camera which you may have in your children's bedroom. <laughs> yep, well put. I think yep. we should end it on that. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, sounds good. So we're back. It's the cipher. I'm back, more importantly. Not important. <laughs> Not <laughs> important. No, okay. Yeah, all right. fa- found... Uh, all right, all right, I see this. You know, I, Ben keeps us tight here. That's... <laughs> What is this? Uh, this episode going to be like six minutes long to, as revenge for what I did last yeah, week? Yeah, the hour-long magnum opus. Yeah, well, you know, I, yeah. I, I can barely get a word in edgewise when you're around. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, ne- you really get a few I, words I on this one. I barely ever speak. Yeah, okay. All right, well, I'm back here to keep, uh, keep, keep, this, keep this ship, keep it tight, keep it right. I invited Ben to a party on Saturday night, and then I left before he got there. Yeah, he did do that. <laughs> you literally ghosted me at a party. You and the other people that were inviting me to it. So I show up to this party. I left five minutes before I got people, there. And I don't know anybody. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what, what the fuck is this? Yeah, well, you know, it's a prank. It's hacking. Yeah, it's like social engineering. Social engineering. Yeah. Right. Well, sorry, cyber listeners. We, we're, uh, we're having a bit of a falling out. Okay, let's talk about Uber and Edward, who is just the most killer reporter on this beat of Uber and labor. I love the guy. 
um, this story is, we really don't need Uber. Yeah, I mean, this is more of a think piece than anything, but uh, it, it's a smart one. I think, um, you know, Uber recently released its safety numbers where they had something like several thousand rapes and a handful of murders in their billions of rides, which... A handful of murders and... I think and it was like 10 murders, yes. Uh, and, you know, Uber will say, well, this is a tiny fraction of our overall, uh, <laughs> you know, our overall number of rides. But... Uh, I think the point of Edward's piece was to ask, like, why have we allowed one single company to take over, like, taxis across the entire country and across the world, really? Um, you know, there's some countries that have pushed Uber out. But when you look at it, it's like, no matter where you go in the United States, use this one app. And, uh, you know, Uber's lack of safety regulations and the fact that they do sort of like not the best background checks in, in different cities is like, why are we allowing this? So why are we allowing it? It's, 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 it's actually, mean, it's absurd that we're not, we're, we're not more on we're top of them. We're allowing it because Uber ignored regulations all over the country and all over the world, just entered these markets and then took whatever fines they got, or in many cases didn't get fined, even though they ignored regulations because people found it to be convenient. So they just sort of like, Uber became so entrenched in a lot of these cities and then, you know, drivers sort of liked it because they were getting paid well at the beginning and, you know, that's been sort of eroded away over the years. And then, uh, you know, passengers liked it because they didn't have to call someone. They could just get a taxi anytime, anywhere by clicking a button on an app. And that is a cool thing like i i mean it's not only just cool it's convenient it's, it's convenient the yeah. technology the technology is clearly very useful and 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 amazing but everything that supports it is really deeply fucked up if we're honest i mean think about it like when you have a company that's saying this is a handful of murders that yeah use it, yeah like that's that's we hey, need a, to demand more a from hand, a company a handful of murders is my yeah. term uh but i think it was 12 i just don't have the numbers that's up right enough. in front of me yeah it's still a enough. dozen a baker's dozen murders there's two i'd be like uh, yeah i don't know man yeah um no so anyways uh the point of the piece is like this technology was really uh groundbreaking when it was first introduced i don't know like seven eight nine years ago but now anyone can make an app and anyone can, uh, you know, overlay Google Maps and, and use sort of like GPS tracking to, to work with cabs. And there are a lot of alternatives in different cities. Uh, and his point was that, you know, if we want to have Uber-like technology, that's fine because it is convenient. But if you have a locally owned one, then, you know, drivers might get paid better. It can be more responsive to the needs of the community. And you're not ultimately reporting up to this, uh, you know, billions and billions of dollars valuation company that's so desperate to turn a profit. Very, very, very poignant piece. Edward, yeah. you are the man. So this one, I, I, I find this, this story very, very fascinating. I mean, it's something that I've covered and you've covered. Just this idea that government, governments need backdoors to encryption, to get to gain access to things, or, or or at least they they make that argument all around the world, and including the United States. Yeah, and, I've and, tried to stop paying attention to these stories because it's the same argument, the crypto wars that you know we had in the '90s, we had it in the '80s, and now the new one is, uh, you know, we need to backdoor the iPhone, we need to backdoor, uh, you know. Android, we we need to backdoor Signal and and all these other sorts of encrypted which is apps. Just, and like, which is just 
obviously does not lead to good places if you if you do that. It's essentially breaking pieces of technology for everyone. Yeah, so I mean the argument that technologists have made and have made over and over and over again is that if you uh, put a backdoor into encryption, you are fundamentally breaking that encryption in a way that, you know, it's like a Pandora's box. You can't put it back together. Like if you're building a vulnerability into, uh, you know, into the iPhone, then that can be exploited maybe by criminal hackers, maybe by other governments. Um, And to be clear, what Congress is asking for here, what the Justice Department has been asking for is... uh, a variety of different things, but I believe the most recent one is like a key escrow type deal where Apple itself would be able to, uh, you know, decrypt an iPhone and read read the messages or read everything that's on it. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, and like what we've seen is that, like, despite the fact that encryption is everywhere at this point and default on iOS and default on Android and and increasingly default on different messaging apps that, uh, you know, you have companies all over the world that are writing backdoors and and making backdoors and hacking uh, the iPhone. And then, you know, the FBI and the CIA and the NSA are able to access what they need anyway. But it's expensive. It's maybe a little bit more time consuming than if they just had were able to file a search warrant and get that the next day from these companies. Yeah, so the the DOD comes out against the FBI and says, we use this technology. We use this technology, need, yeah, don't break it. Yeah, don't break it. And I think Joseph had a really uh, smart tweet the other day and had, you know, a smart point where a lot of the technologists are saying, yeah, you make, um, you know, you make a backdoor and everyone's going to break into it. And I think that that is possible, but that's maybe overselling how this works because... More likely what would happen is the United States asked for a backdoor and then you have China asked for a backdoor and Germany asked for a backdoor and Israel asked for a backdoor and suddenly you have like 15 different governments asking for backdoors from American companies and it's like, well, which which countries do you say yes to? Like which ones have the correct rule of law that you want to follow as well as like are... Like if Apple says we're not breaking our encryption, period, no matter what, for anyone, that's a much easier argument to make than like, oh, we'll do it for the U.S. government, but not the British government, or we'll do it for the U.S. but not Australia. Right? Because there's a there's a logical there's a logical way of following. It's not necessarily just taking geopolitical sides. Right. Right. And then you have like these American companies like increasingly becoming like nation state actors or having to deal with like that geopolitics in a way that you don't maybe want them doing that. So anyways, the Department of Defense was like, yeah, just leave the status quo. And that's like, yeah, that's what I think all the technology companies would want. I mean, the most the most prolific human killing machine in history. Yeah, saying, and that, like one last point, I know we've been on this for a while, but, uh, you know, if Apple is no longer allowed to use encryption, like unbreakable encryption, then, uh, you know, you'll just have people in other countries designing and using this. And we've already seen with, like, these encrypted phones that are being made by literal, like, organized crime. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just not, it's not a good path forward, I don't think. I think it's a terrible path forward. Now, another terrible path forward is something you wouldn't expect us to talk about on cyber. Toys R Us. Pivoting, Pivoting to surveillance. Yeah, so this is a fun one. Uh, <laughs> is it fun? Is it fun or is it like one of the like 
signs of the apocalypse, one of the four horsemen. It's really bad. Uh, so we've had uh, Toys R Us went uh, bankrupt a couple years ago. And rather than letting Jeffrey the giraffe die a peaceful death, uh, private, a private equity firm went and bought the brand and decided to resurrect it. And so there are now two Toys R Us stores, I think one in Texas and one in, I don't know, maybe Virginia. Let's just throw a dart at the map. Are there really only two? Well, two new ones. They cl- they shut down all of the Toys R Uses and then they made two new ones. Damn. And these are like much smaller boutique stores. They don't have like as many things. It's like upscale Toys R Us vibe or something. I don't know. I haven't been to one. Oof, but as part puke. of this, yeah. So as part of this, uh, Toys R Us and its new owners have partnered with this company that makes sensors um, that sort of surveil the store at all times. And so they're seeing like which uh, toys are out of stock, like which toys are getting looked at, but then put back, like all this sorts of sorts of stuff, so that they can glean information that then they can use to help stock the store. And uh, you know, in a different world, or maybe in a slight twist, uh, you know, sell that data to toy makers or sell it to. Facebook or, or what have you. Um, and there's no evidence that they're doing that right now, but they're collecting that data. And so, I mean, nominally, they are collecting this information on children, um, which would be illegal because I think you have to be 13 before you're allowed to collect this type, type of data. Um, like if you sign up for an online account, like you have to often click a box that says you're 13. Hmm. Um, and so Toys R Us is saying like, well, you know, we are... Uh, like our sensors don't collect data from anyone who's under 42 inches or something like that, or under four feet tall. And it's like the average kid is over four feet tall by the time they're like eight years old. So I wasn't. <laughs> you might have been. I got that Italian syndrome, man. Yeah. Not, I'm not the tallest, uh, you know. Four feet's like pretty short though. I think my mom is like 5'1 still. I see. Okay, yeah. No, it's possible. <laughs> but in any case, it's like... Uh, even if, like, let's say that this technology works and they are filtering out all kids. It's like, even if that's happening, the data that they're getting is inherently, like, about kids because they're picking up toys. Like, their parents are, are doing it on their behalf, but, like, you can easily see how this would go off the rails. And the reason this is happening is because, like, we do so much shopping online, and when you do shopping online, you can track what people search for, you can follow them all around the internet... And then, like, if you're an online retailer, you can resell that data to marketers and what have you, and it's another revenue stream. Whereas stores are, like, you know, struggling because they're trying to compete with Amazon and all these other say, online retailers. Bezos, and it's like... Bezos just, you know, torpedoed that whole business. Yeah, yeah. And so they're like, oh, well, maybe if we put more surveillance in our stores, we can, like, compete with the internet. And it's like, eh, that's, <laughs> that's not good. That's not good. Yeah. So another thing we've covered pretty closely, and we've also done it on the show a few times, uh, is just how serious Apple is trying to keep the security and the secret sauce of its iPhone to itself. Yeah. So last week, um, someone, I'm not really sure who, because it was uh, just like a pseudonym on Twitter, uh, tweeted out an encryption key for the secure Enclave processor, which is uh, Apple's sort of dedicated encryption. It handles all the encryption on the iPhone. And this is apparently not a unique key. It's just like a string of text. And it's not like if you have this, you can decrypt 
the secure enclave on any iPhone. It's like, but it is useful information for jailbreakers to have. So someone tweeted this out and then Apple filed a Digital Millennium Copyright Act takedown request, which is uh, just a DMCA takedown, which is the same thing that you'd get on like YouTube if you uploaded music that didn't belong to you or if you uploaded like an episode of The Simpsons that and you weren't Fox, like you'd get a DMCA takedown request and YouTube would take it down. So in this case, Twitter took down the uh, secure enclave protocol key and this started this whole debate about whether an encryption key could be copyrightable. And a lot of people think that it's not. And so that's sort of like what this article is about. And I don't think we need to go too much deeper into it, but it's like Apple... Fi- like, It seems like Apple maybe misused copyright law to censor security research, possibly. Yes, and it's it's just, again, it's indicative of Apple and it's, it's true fears around its technologies yeah. and whether or not they can be breakable. Yeah. Well, Jason, I think this is this is that wraps it up for the second last cipher and the second last episode of the year of 2019, a just phenomenal year. Did you mention that I was on Good Morning America? Oh, we didn't. You know what? Let's cue a clip right now. Yeah. Vice News finding the intrusions are linked to new software being shared on a hacking forum, utilizing usernames and passwords stolen from other digital platforms. They're taking these known email addresses and passwords and plugging them into Ring's backend system and waiting until they find one that works. Vice also reporting the hackers live streamed the virtual break-ins on a popular gaming chat app called Discord. They're basically making a game out of the whole thing where they would call up these people and say, hey, we're going to break into this smart home camera and mess with this family. Discord saying in a statement, it has a zero tolerance approach to illegal activity on our platform. We terminated the server and all the associated user accounts. Jason was wow. on Good Morning America. On the TV, America, good yeah. morning. How good are you morning, doing? Good morning, America. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. That, I, I have to say... I texted you this, but it's got to be one of the weirdest media appearances you can possibly make. You must feel like totally and utterly insane. Yeah, I mean, like, so on the one hand, Good Morning America is one of the most watched programs anywhere. So the fact that they feature our reporting, it's incredible. It's it's incredible. But on the other hand, like, I think the other segments were like Reese Witherspoon's like cookie recipe and things of this nature. It's like, yeah. generally, they don't uh, yeah. grapple and with then, hacking. Yeah, and then Jason Kevler with his shaggy hair gets on there and scares America. Yeah, and it's like, when when I did it, I mean, they obviously have a huge studio, but I think this was such a short segment that they were like, yeah, we are not going to have him come in and like bother with setting up all this stuff. So we did it over Skype, and it's like, I'm just talking to a black box on Skype. Like, I couldn't even see the person who I was talking to. Yeah, I kinda, I've done that before. It's not, it's kind of... It's, it's very odd. It's inhuman. It is. And also, it wasn't even like a conversation. It was just like, talk about this story. Go. Kind of like what you do to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're well trained. No, there's a person here. I'm, you're good. You give me some feedback. I mean, I like to react. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Well... Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's do a little slow clap. Wow. For myself? Yeah, for you, for being on Good Morning America. Now you can die a happy journalist. Mm -hmm. All right, everyone. We will be back next week. Bye-bye. Farewell. This week's episode was recorded and edited by Andrew Bursick and hosted and produced by me, Ben Maku.
traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.